Hey, No Bad Dog Army, happy Tuesday. You guys are hearing this. I'm actually recording this on Monday night. Uh, super long day and uh, didn't get a chance to put this out. But this is Tuesday uh, in Canada. We're coming. I know you guys have been asking me for years to come to Canada. We're coming to Calgary and Toronto in May. Really excited to get there. Really excited to finally put on a, a seminar. It's the only seminar we're going to do in Canada, obviously, all year. Really excited. If you guys can get there, uh, would love to meet you. It's going to be working spots and audit spots. Bring your dog or come watch. So link in the description below. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. This is a podcast that a lot of people are dealing with. It seems like recently, just another dog owner with some dogs fighting in the house, but going over every solution and every possibility that we can to be successful and going over some of the triggers that cause this type of thing. And just so you guys know, I got a new card, which means you're not going to hear uh, the podcast kind of mold together in different clips that was happening uh, towards the end of my card at the end. So RIP to that, but got her all fixed. Thanks for being patient with me. If you guys are listening to this on iTunes or you're listening to this on Spotify, it would mean the world to me if you guys can just rate this podcast. If you like it, let us know about it. Uh, and I'm going to be answering three of your dog training podcast questions at the end. <laughs> so enjoy the podcast and we'll talk to you at the end. I've got two wirehead pointers. Um, older one, Gasper, turned seven in May. And then our puppy, Otis, um, he just turned one this month. So I got Gasper in 2019. Um, just after he turned three, I was in dental school in Minneapolis at the time. And my wife and I always said, we're not going to get a dog in the apartment. We're not going to get a dog in the apartment. And we're living in 600 square feet in the city. And for whatever reason, I was browsing Craigslist and looked at the pets. And I saw this dog as like the most handsome wire hair I've ever seen, but I'm biased because he's my dog. Um, and so I was like, I got to reach out. I got to figure out what the deal is. So I reached out to the guy. We kind of contacted back and forth. Um, he told me that it was his dad's dog. His dad was ill. Couldn't care for him anymore. This guy had too many dogs. He couldn't keep him. So I'm like, that sounds like a reasonable story. But he had a pretty strange, I mean, strange if you're not into the German dog. His name is Gasper von Staudenjäger. I was like, that's kind of a interesting name. So I Googled it, and it brought me to this breeding page. And so this guy didn't mention to me at all that he was breeding. Um, so turns out that Gasper was a stud dog. He had him imported from Germany. Um, and I think his main purpose in life was to, to reproduce and to sometimes hunt. I don't think he had the best life when I got him. He had a lot of scarves on him, like pretty beat up ears. I don't know if the guy was doing like force fetch with vice grips or what the deal was. A mm. um, couple big healed lacerations, but I just don't think he came from the best household. And so I talked to the guy and I was like, you know, I live in an apartment in Minneapolis. I got a busy schedule. What if we did a trial run? He's like, nope. I, if the dog leaves, I want him to have his forever home. I'm like, okay, well, how about I come on and take a look at him? So we go take a look. Guy tells me it's um, you can't afford 300 bucks, can't afford a dog, which I totally agree with. So I went out with cash and this dog like wanted nothing to do with me. And I played fetch with him for like five minutes and the guy picked him up and put him in the back of my car. So we basically, we went home with this dog, not having anything. Um, and then it was, uh, it was a transition. He was like super reactive on the leash right away. Um, if, you know, living in an apartment, we had to walk him multiple times a day. If there were people on the same side of the sidewalk, at first we would have to go to the other side of the sidewalk because he was so reactive. And then he got better with that, but still like dogs, we'd go to the other side of the sidewalk. Um, Super nervous dog, even with people that had been over 15, 20 times, really nervous. I never had like a a concern that he was going to bite, but just 
like a not very confident nervous dog. And I think a lot of that came from probably his previous home. Um, so it was a lot of work, but love him. He's an awesome dog. I don't think he has any aggression at all. Um, I don't think he's an aggressive dog, I should say. Uh, I've never had that concern. But he was uh, it was a long haul to get him to be just like a, a chill dog. But he's a, a huge couch potato, and if he's not hunting, he just wants to sleep on the couch. And so we, we ended up moving back home to South Dakota uh, in 2021, and we got Otis, our puppy, last May. So we had like 10 months of harmony. Things were super good. Um, and then last month they got in a pretty good fight. Um, we like store our, the dog food in a, like a utility closet and I had the door open. I fed the dogs. I always feed them in our laundry room, separate bowls, opposite side of the room. Never had a problem. And then Otis was kind of sniffing around where we store the food and Gasper finished eating and hovered over Otis's dog bowl and they like locked on locked eyes and fight was on. Yep. Um, I ended up getting bit in the middle of it. I know you're not supposed to interview with a dog fight, but it's kind of human nature. Sure. Um, it wasn't too bad. So I finally got them separated. We got the, the wounds cleaned up. Neither of them needed to go to the vet or anything. Um, Otis didn't really, he's just a dumb puppy, man. Like he, he doesn't have any quit in him, which is probably part of the problem. So I'd get these dogs separated and then he would like go at it for more. And I think it's cause he was just getting his ass beat and, he had to get his shots in, but he was on his back the whole time. So Gasper, you know, Otis would bite wherever he could grab. So it was ears and lips and eyebrows. So Gasper's face got beat up pretty good. Mm-hmm. So we kind of like separated them for a couple weeks. Reintroductions would be all on lease. Uh, you know, we'd get them in the living room together on opposite sides. They'd go to their place. They'd chew on their Kong, but we would each have a leash so they couldn't get too close. And then, we gave them a little bit more freedom. These dogs, I mean, they've never been allowed to be like together unattended. Um, if we're gone, they're both in kennels, um, but things were fine. Um, and then about a week and a half ago, my wife let the dogs out and they came back in the house. They both jumped up on the bed at the same time, locked eyes. And then the fight was on again. Um, and that one was pretty bad. Gasper got really, I think a lot of like the old ones opened up, but, um, he wound up with like an infection from one of the bites. Um, and we've really just kind of kept them separate ever since. So old dog, young dog, fine for 10 months. And all of a sudden they've been fighting. And I think the thing that's concerning for me is that the, the two times I did it, there wasn't like a lot of dog communication or a lot of posturing or anything. It was just like the perfect storm and they went at it. So it wasn't really, I don't feel like it was anything that I could have got in between and broke up before it even started. Um, so I guess going from there, we just need some help. We've got a baby on the way, probably like 10 days, um, wow, <laughs> 10 days of having a kid. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a little bit more stressful with the dogs acting up. Uh, but you know, I'm trying to be proactive and just kind of get a grasp on things. Sure. Okay. Before it gets any worse. Yeah. Uh, Otis, is he fixed? So, uh, that is another big part of it. Um, <laughs> both of them were intact. Um, I talked with my vets. I talked with a, a dog trainer in the area. And at first, when the, the dog trainer came over and I, inter- like, I brought the dogs out one at a time. Um, and at first, she's like, you got to fix these dogs. You got to fix these dogs. You got to fix these dogs. And then we took them on the backyard together. And after about five minutes, she's like, this is 10,000 times better than what I expected. Like I thought we were going to get out here and these dogs want to kill each other. And 
they really just don't care about each other. So she's like, I think you, I, I think you can work through these behaviors without having to fix them. Um, and the vet kind of said the same thing. And then after the second fight, I was like, okay, that's it. So they both got fixed on Thursday. Okay. So, so that's going to play it. The, the biggest role. Okay. Yeah. Like just the biggest role is going to be that intact male. I'm big boy. No, I'm big boy type of behavior. And right. that's definitely going to be the lar- the largest component and probably was the largest component into their relationship at that point. Yeah. Now, the, the reason why you're seeing it now is because Otis is, is was fully maturing. So you may right. not have seen it before because once dogs will fully mature uh, males anywhere between eight months to 14 months, depending on the breed, depending on the size, depending on the, whatever, but just generally. So that's where we start to see. It's like the first question I always ask because that's the, all the arrows always generally will point to that is if we see it like absolute clockwork. My dog was, whenever I hear that age, uh, eight months, well, all of a sudden at a year, I'm always, first question is, are they fixed? Because that's where you'll see the biggest shift. And people dog owners take it personally about the fighting. And of course you should, because it's to some degree for people, it could be traumatic for, for other people. It's a headache. Uh, it's, it just sucks either way, but that one year old Mark, that's where you're just going to start to see that competitive, uh, type of behavior towards the two males, just because like your trainer came over and was like, this is, that's the, that's the deal. Uh, so there you go. Um, I'm not saying that's the exact reason why it had happened because if they're fixed and you're going to, that doesn't guarantee it's not going to happen again For sure, because the first time was over food. So even if we took the, even if they were both females and we said, okay, well it happened over food. That's another variable, another huge trigger for most dogs, but combining the age with what you're dealing with makes a lot of sense. Um, the way that I, so I, I've been talking to different veterinarians and people about what it does and it takes away, when you fix the dog, it takes away all their testosterone. But if obviously if you keep them intact, they have all their testosterone, which is why it's, in my opinion, physically, it's good to keep dogs intact until they're fully mature because they're taking away all their ability to physically and mentally grow. Um, and especially for these breeds, these are working dogs just as much as a working line German shepherd is a working dog. They have a job, they have a purpose. Typically it's all they want to do in life. Everything else is just kind of like a hardworking person. Um, you know, I come home at night, eat dinner with my family and I love them. I get up and I do the next thing. It's just how, how these dogs, that's all they would prefer. And so we want so typically people will keep them in intact because they want that intensity they want that aggressive behavior not an aggressive behavior in a sense of violent towards other dogs or other people but aggressive towards their job maybe they're like i'm going to get this bird or i'm going to point this bird or i'm going to run through this bush because i don't i'm just that aggressive right i have that test males have testosterone right that's what makes them that much more pushy and aggressive and like really eyes on the prize. And a lot of people who have working dogs keep them intact because they want that intensity. 
Yeah. The only problem with somebody in my position is, is I've also talked to a lot of people and sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't. So it's, I'm basically like that matters a hundred percent. None of the time, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's like, it, it does matter to some breeds, to some dogs and some scenarios. And then other times it doesn't at all. But I will say behaviorally, I have collected enough data over the years that that is a big factor on on why dogs all of a sudden develop aggression or f- frustration towards one another. Sure. So and that was like yeah, like you explained the working part. I mean, that was a big thing for me for keeping Gasper intact. Um, like for instance, we were pheasant hunting a couple years ago. He got into a spat with a porcupine, and like I had to carry, I had to physically carry this dog to the car and he got pissed off and I put him down Yep. and he like tried to keep hunting. Oh, so yeah. like, I, I don't like that he got into the porcupine, but like he had that drive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's, he didn't care. He's like, this is what I'm, this is my job and I'm out here doing it. And then Otis, I mean, he's, he's 60 pounds where Gasper's 80 and like Gasper's a tank. He's not a fat dog. People always tell me, Oh, your dogs are so skinny. But no, that's what they're supposed to look like. That's what yeah. a healthy dog looks like. They're yeah. deep chested breeds. They look skinny, but Otis is still just tiny. So I wanted to hold off on fixing him for as long as we could just so we could keep growing. But I mean, they are working dogs and that's ingrained in them, but also at the end of the day, they're like 90%, 99% family dogs. And so for me, it was like, if that testosterone is going to play that big of an issue in our day-to-day life, then it's time. So I would have liked yeah. to keep him intact. I had no intentions to breed. Um, I would get in a lot of trouble if I bred him because I didn't put him through any testing. But uh, it was more just like you were saying, kind of that that aggression in their drive when they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I don't like I was like my job is to just help navigate and tell people like, this is what could happen if you you know what I don't really care. I kept my male intact his whole life, so yeah. it doesn't. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I just tell people if you want that high intensity for sure, especially in those working, like you said, like if you're out pheasant hunting and stuff, like you just want that intensity. A lot of people do, they love it. And working Mm -hmm. with dogs, I can tell you firsthand, there is a big difference in the intensity and the seriousness and the drive of an intact male versus a not intact male, a a typically non-intact males, especially for like pet breeds uh, that aren't traditionally bred uh, in today's world for work they are like puppies their whole life which is good for you know some families and environments but anyway so i i would just say like that's the first thing it's like kind of hey my car won't start would you put gas in it that 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 intactness is is the first thing of like okay that makes sense but even outside of that another really big trigger and variable because my job is to always try to figure out why it happened Sometimes we can't, we don't have enough time or enough context to to do that. But in this case, there's two huge triggers that if you were to say, Hey, in this scenario, what are the, what's the likelihood of a a fight? And I would say super high intact male, intact male starting to become, you know, the one-year-old starting to feel his oats and he's starting to be like more, no, 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 this is, you know, it's like sibling. And then uh, scratch that say, okay, they're both females. I would say, okay, what happened? Well, they were over the food bowl, there was food involved and they locked eyes, which is that like hockey fight type thing. Like, let's go. And then they yep. went after it. And so that there's another thing on a big bang, bang. Those are two high, high, high likelihoods and scenarios where you're going to get dogs to have a problem with one another. 
So I, the next question I want to see where we're at is like, where, where are they at now? Like what's going on with them now? So we like after this last fight, um, we really, we didn't do a lot of work to reintroduce them. We had like a baby shower diaper keg last weekend. And so we just had like a lot going on with people coming over. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't really, we're out of, we're at a place now where these dogs are separate and they're fine and we're managing it. Um, we did kind of introduce them, um, like on the leash again. And we had them in our living room and my wife was sitting with Gasper and I was sitting with Otis and Gasper was itching himself and Otis looked over and Gasper growled at him and like, this was before they were fixed and I, I don't know if tensions were still high. And actually the funny thing is we have one behavior dog behaviorist in the area. And I talked with her, it was last week. And I told her, I was like, you know, the, the dogs were totally fine. They both had their own toy. Gasper's itching. Otis looks at him. He growls at Otis and we made a leash correction. And she's like, well, I don't think we're at the place to be making leash corrections. I said, why not? We're just not at a place yet that we can tell this dog that's unacceptable behavior. I was like, but it's unacceptable behavior and like he needs to know that. And then she went on this just spiral of basically telling me that I need to rehome one or both of my dogs. I'm like, that's not real. Like if that's what you're doing as a dog behaviorist, then I should get the same training and charge a hundred dollars an hour and tell people the same thing. Like I'm coming to you because you've been referred to me by dog trainers for dog behavior. So kind yeah. of a digression, but that was, no, yeah, that was my experience with our local dog behaviorist. And I was like, all right, I'm getting a meeting set up with Tom because that's not really working to address behaviors. You're just like, Oh, that sucks for you. You're having a kid get rid of your dogs. Yeah. And, and to be fair, there's a big misconception with behaviors. I think, um, most of them are, are, that's what their, their job is to diagnose and delegate. They don't train. They don't touch the dogs. They don't do any of that, right? They're not boots on the ground. They, they're, they're, and, and, you know, I used to say this and people would take it as I was almost, um, bashing them in a way. I'm like, no, no, no. I I just, to be fair, like that's what they do. When you hire a behaviorist, they, their sole job, the reason why they went to school is to diagnose dog's behavior and tell you what's going on and then give you, sometimes they don't even do that. To be honest, sometimes they're like, a lot of times it's, it's either medication or getting rid of your dogs and you just have to take things with a grain of salt. But obviously you know, there's relationship that's involved. There's exercise that's involved, um, breeding. That's, in, there's a lot of things that I particularly like to, cause I can do both, right? I'm a, I'm a huge behavior expert. Um, you could call me a behaviorist easily because my job is to tell people what's going on with their dog behaviorally, but I have the benefit of also being able to put my boots on the ground and help you with the dog. So right. that's the difference typically between a behaviorist, a vet, and a trainer. A trainer's kind of mix of, I've seen this behavior for the last decade. I know where it's coming from, and I know a roadmap on how to help things get better. And then behaviorists are, this is what's happening. Here's your options. Here's a piece of paper. And yeah. So like modern medicine, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but like back to your question, how are they now? So right now, um, I've got them both out. Gasper's in a kennel. Otis is out with me, but we're in the same room. Occasionally, like Otis will look over at Gasper, but it's not, it's not really aggression at all. Gasper just doesn't care. Um, so it's just weird, man. I mean, it was, it was 10 months of totally fine. And even since the fights, like, I think I could totally get them outside together. And if they each have their own toy, mm-hmm. they're going to be fine. But yeah. 
Um, it was just, I think the food and the place on the bed since the day I brought Gasper home, he's definitely had like resource guarding slash resource insecurity. So if I get a toy out and the guy told me, he's like, good luck getting him to drop birds. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> I guess I don't have an option because he put him in the back of my car. But if I try to get Gasper to drop something, he doesn't drop it until he wants to. And he'll like get that Kong pretty deep in his mouth and then he'll tuck his head underneath him. Um, you know, like he's definitely guarding that resource or if Gasper's eating and I walk past him, he'll like stop eating or start eating really slow. Like he's, this is my, stay away from me. Um, and so I think a lot of it with him is resource guarding and then, Otis is crying at a dog right now. Um, and then it's just, like you said, I think Otis's puppy card expired and now he's a threat to all of his resources. Yeah. Um, I've, I've tried to, and I, I should have worked with these dogs a lot more than I did for the longest time. It was like, yeah, they're, they're doing great in the house. They're doing awesome together. Um, God, we're staring at them now. Um, but I've been trying to like, just start easy stuff with Gasper. Like, um, you know, you get him to drop the Kong and I'll reward him with food. Well, food's out. He's so motivated. He's so fixated on the food that he doesn't care about the toy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I've transitioned more to the e-collar. He does really good on the e-collar and I can just use the tone setting. He hears the beep, he drops, he hears the tone, he comes back. Um, in one of your videos, you were kind of talking about training with food and how, you know, these dogs are, are smart and they're stubborn enough that it gets to the point where they're not necessarily listening. They're just attentive because food is there. And so he'll go through all of the tricks he, he knows, knowing that eventually he's going to hit the right combination and get fed. <laughs> yeah. So he's kind of always just been super stubborn where Otis, on the other hand, it was like, one 10 minute training session. Yeah. Um, we've got him to go to his place. He sits, he waits um, for the most part until break. And like referring to another video, you were talking about Lakota and how she like the obedience is there, but nest the uh, like the impulse control isn't quite there because they're a puppy. And so I think right now he's like goes to his place and he's toy, 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 toy. Whereas as he ages, hopefully it gets to the point where he goes to the place and the toys on his mind, but he can sit and he can stay while we have company over or all of that stuff. So the training with Otis has gone really well. The training with Gasper, uh, it's the old adage of teaching an old dog new tricks. Um, yeah. But they're learning. We just, we haven't done a whole lot of stuff dog to dog. And then now that they're both recovering from surgery, we're taking it super easy. That's a whole other thing too. So, back to Gasper's like confidence and anxiety. I brought him into the vet. I handed the vet tech the leash and he kind of jumped and air snapped at her. Get away from me. And they, the vet's clinic had like polished concrete floors. And as he hit the ground, his feet slipped out from under him and he slammed into the ground and the neuter went great. But the vet calls me. She's like, as I was closing him up, I noticed blood, like there shouldn't be blood. Do you, I I think I want to, I think I want to do an exploratory and see what's going on. So she made a small incision above his penis and there was a ton of coagulated blood. So they opened him all the way up to the sternum. Um, massive amounts of coagulated blood. They cleaned him out. Blood was like seeping out from behind the liver, but they couldn't find an exact laceration point. Mm. She has no idea what could have gone wrong. We think that like the leash reactivity and the trauma that he sustained was enough to lacerate the liver. So, I mean, I have this dog who's reactive enough on a leash around other people that it led to a, an even bigger surgery. So he got an exploratory mm-hmm. surgery and neutered in the same day. And now he's just kind of chilling. Okay. It's a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
it is it's like he this dude has been a project man like a total i mean and, yeah. I, and i know it's like i know i think we can break a lot of these these habits and mindsets but i think the dude's just like scarred from his previous life um and i i, I just don't think he lived a super good life for the first three years of his life and now he's kind of this grouchy old man mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i mean i i think he's probably just confused i don't know maybe not confused but he just probably needs a job needs something to yeah. do needs to be Needs, excuse me, needs to be more active. I think that that's always like every everybody's dog, including mine, could use more, you know, mental and physical yeah. stimulation. But it, there's gauges and there's levels to it. You know, if they're not getting anything or they're getting something once a week, you know, um, I try to r- run and work Lakota once a day, and that's not, you know, I, I wish I wish I could do more. But um, so the goal right now is to what are we going to do about the two dogs, right? I mean, that's really the main right. focus here. Okay, so my suggestion is to figure out what you really want to do and what you really want to accomplish with the two dogs. Because obviously right now when they're separated, you're fine and everything's good. Uh, I know that when you and your wife have your child here soon, um, things will, it's weird. It's like things will get busy. Yes. But you'll also be home a lot, a lot. (laughs) So, uh, you will have some time to, to do some things with the dogs, but you can kind of take advantage of that. You know, baby's uh, sleep a lot, you know, so it's uh, right. it, you'll have some time, which is good. Uh, so my suggestion is right now they either, if you put them into an, a situation where they could have a conflict, they might just duke it out. Right. But sometimes right. It, I see dogs that can get along with one another, uh, until there's a conflict. And, and honestly, the majority of these conflicts are very easy triggers to locate, isolate, and get rid of because sometimes it's just it's just some sort of possession game or it's some sort of resource guarding game where if you have toys around, bones around, if you don't feed them separately completely, or if you leave food bowls around after the fact, those are all triggers. So I guess my point is, is sometimes dogs can have this contingency. I love you unless there's this involved and that's normal and natural for dogs. It's hard for dog owners to understand and to accept because a lot of dog owners look at their dogs as like humans. That's your brother. That's your sister. In reality, they're dogs and they will, they're not like that, right? Um, they'll, they'll turn, you know, whatever they're animals. So I guess my point is, is they will duke it out and cause, uh, pain and, and conflict towards one another. And then five minutes later, they're like totally fine with each other. And people have a hard time grasping that because they don't realize that it was over a bone or any type of possession. So if you feel like it's more of that, then you can slowly integrate them into your life together because before they were kind of free roaming the house with, with each other completely unisolated. And now because of the incidences, they're separated, correct? Right. Yeah. And like we would have them out together if we were home, but like say since their fight, if we had them out and they were off leash, you know, if the dogs both walked into the kitchen, like we're like eagle eyed man. It's like, okay, we got to get up and get these dogs back to where we can see them. Where before the fight, 
if they went downstairs and looked out the window together, it wasn't a big deal. Like, oh, great, the dogs are sleeping and not causing a ruckus, and it's okay. But, you know, that was kind mm-hmm. of pre-fight, and now I think you hit the nail on the head. Is like we probably have more reactions from the fight than the dogs do. Yeah. And so we think it's worse than it really is. I think you've made a good point before where you're like, these wolves will come within an inch of taking the other one's life, and then five minutes later, they're totally fine. Um, and that's, I mean, they're animals at the end of the day but yeah i would would love to be able to get back to where we're home we're out the dogs are roaming the house they're going in and out of the backyard i don't know if that's something we'll get to again um hopefully the neutering fixes that a bit but it does seem like both times it was over the resource of food and i think even the resource of either me like my attention or the bed yeah um yeah and that's and so we we tried to eliminate like having resources out and free, you know, the, mm-hmm. if the dogs are out, all toys are up or they're on their place with a toy or they're separated in the house with a toy. But we're, we've, we were before there was a toy basket the dogs were like raid the toy basket <laughs> yep. like the one they wanted. So it's been definitely a big adjustment for us. And I think that's where we're at. Is like, how do we reintroduce yeah. We may never get back to that pre-fight norm, but right. Whether the dogs like it or not, they're living under the same roof. And if they can't figure it out, then, they'll take turns in the garage. Like it is what it is. Neither of these dogs are going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, 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 I was just going to say, just to help you kind of understand a little bit more, you have, uh, again, like you have like the toy bin, right. I'm just going to give you context on that yeah. from what could, it could have happened. Right. I, I'm not like, there's some things where I'm like, that's definitely it. And then there's most things where I'm just, I'm going to give you just like any, anything else. doesn't matter if you're a medical doctor or you're a groomer or a trainer. It's like, I've done this 25,000 times. And I can tell you, this is probably what's happening from experience. Right. right? So I'll just tell you that typically what ends up happening is you have a, you have like the toy bin, right. And they're fine and they're good and blah, blah, blah. But anybody that has a dog that's intact and another male in the house, you just have to watch once the dog starts getting to a certain age, because when they're younger, it's like this playful little kid type, like, Oh, there's a thing. And then the, the other dog comes around. And then in this case, Otis tail tucks and it's like, Oh, I'm out of here. Or, you know, runs away and is a puppy. And now it's more serious. It's like, no, this is, this is, you know, so Otis is now again, becoming more of an adult dog and taking things more seriously and, and is willing to fight for, so that, 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 um, that one fight that you guys saw in the kitchen, it sounded like, um, with the water dishes and stuff, uh, or, or the food dishes or whatever. Um, it's, it's like at some point they could have locked, like Jasper could, could have been what Jasper, right? Yeah, Gasper, right? Got a crazy German name. No, no, no. I wrote it down. I wrote down Jasper or Gasper. I just said Jasper. Sorry. So Gasper's like, "Hey, man, you know, so stiff, uh, whaling, like locked jaw, like, hey, man, like I'm uncomfortable with you being here." And then Otis, and again, this is generally, typically puppies, younger dogs, adolescence dog, or just submissive, like, "Hey, man, I don't want any. I'm good. Like, you're take it. I don't care." You won't see any of that because it'll happen so subtly that the other dog will just deflect and walk away. You know, that's it. It's over. But once the dog, Otis, again, being an intact male at that age, is like, you know what? Like, screw you, man. Like, this is my, you know, whatever. And that's where that happens. So my point is, is um, give it, uh, I'd be very interested to see how things are in a month, just to see how their behaviors have changed because- it is it is such a crapshoot on uh, fixing your dogs. Sometimes it makes 
the dog less agitated and aggressive and sometimes it makes it worse and sometimes it doesn't do anything. So that's the first thing is just wait a month for sure to just really start to see some of the physical uh, more uh, changes in the dog's behavior. And then the other thing is, is um, I, I personally, like what I would be doing uh, to another step of like what your behaviorist or maybe what your trainer had done. I don't know what your trainer did, but I would be, uh, and I, I said this before with somebody else is like, I, I'd be going out and handling them and watching how they interact with one another and really taking notes. And here's some things I'd be looking for. I would put one dog on the leash and I'd have somebody else with the other dog on a leash and say, Hey, let's go for a walk. Uh, yep. obviously right now, you know, your wife's super pregnant, maybe not be the best person to do this, but maybe we got some... to walk that baby out of her. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, good. So go out. And what you're doing is you're watching how they interact with one another. And what I'm looking, what I would be looking for is do, the main thing is, do they even care that the other one is there? And if the answer is no, they don't. okay. Yeah. So, they so don't. that tells you that it's not a, so th- that's a good indication typically that they don't, it's not a conflict between one another. Sometimes, the reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes when dogs fight one another in the household, they take it very personal and it's a forever thing. Now, typically, the reasoning and the foundation behind the fights is what predicates the future of their relationship, okay? So if you have a dog that um, is very sensitive and tries to defend oneself, against another bully, aggressive kind of jerk dog, then their relationship becomes very tarnished because the other dog is like fight or flight. They're like, I'm going to get, do, they're, they're like, I'm going to run away from this situation because I'm scared of the other dog. And then we hold them onto a leash and then they get very vulnerable and they go to fight mode. And then they all of a sudden just say, you're going to kill me. So I'm going to pop you first. And yeah. it becomes this very anxious thing. And you'll see that the dog will uh, lick lip, um, uh, spin, uh, hackles will up just very insecure. But if you get the opposite of that, where they're like, sup dude, sup man, like, you know, waking up and, you know, with your brother or sister in the house when you were younger, yeah. like sup, nah, bye, you know, it's like no big deal. It's not a, a huge deal. So if you're seeing that type of behavior, and this is something that you would do, I always try to trial things for at least a week to know you know, was it a good walk where the dogs, whatever, like I do it three or four times a day to make sure, yeah, they don't give a shit about each other. So if that's the case, then the next step is to start transitioning, um, their relationship back inside with one another, um, maybe doing, and I don't know how your home is set up, but maybe doing baby gates, um, just to have them one in the kitchen, one in the living room or however it can work out just to have them used to kind of free roaming with one another. And if you're still seeing them, you know, basically acting normal back to the the way that they were and, and not really caring about one another, that's a good sign. And then what you would start to do is you would start to blend them with one another. But you, the only thing that you'll have to do, likely, I don't know, I, I, the neuter may change everything. I don't know, which right. you'll be, you'll get, you'll probably go, if the neuter does affect them in a way that we would want them to, where it like takes away that conflict and that edginess to them, you'll probably go right back to the way things were. And we can, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We can all hope for that, but who knows? But the next step is to, is to really watch them interact with one another, maybe back outside, but you're, 
your job and your wife's job and anybody else that's going to be around is to really minimize any type of possession game. Right. And I know that you're, we've already talked about it. You already are doing it. So you just in the, especially in these stages, cause you don't know if this is going to be, if it's going to work or not, right? Like you don't know how they're going to be. So you just have to be very careful about the attention that you're giving them. Uh, again, obviously like feeding them in separate rooms, taking the food bowls up when they're done, um, possibly maybe putting water down when they're eating and then removing it, depending on like how much time you guys have, but really watching any of the things that can cause possession issues for the dogs. That's the most important thing moving forward. Cause that's yeah, what, that's I why, think- why they had problems in the first place. For sure. We, uh, so we have like a ranch style house. So it's just all one floor, but we have, uh, we call it a lower level. It's down one step and it has like a pocket door. So it's been super easy to separate the dogs. Like Gasper totally loves his own space and chewing on a bone. So we just put him down behind the pocket door and he's totally cool. The dog baby gates would be awesome, except it's probably going to take some training, but Otis loves to jump over baby gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one now and he just like, you put him behind it and he hears something going on before you know it, he's sitting in your lap. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the baby gates, we might need an extra tall one. Yep. Um, one thing I did. So for when my wife's on maternity leave and all of this going on, I don't want her to have to worry about like, okay, this dog's been down like isolated for this amount of time. And I've been out with this dog or maybe she doesn't want to deal with any dogs. Yeah. So I put in a, in our garage, I put in a five by 10 kennel and then, I have a divider for it. So each dog has like a five by five space where they're basically going to have to be by each other all day with kind of that baby gate isolation as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like the cot beds in there for them. They each have a, a big Ruffland water bowl. So they'll have like all the resources they need, but it'll be one of those where you guys are stuck together. Yep. got to figure it out, but obviously separate it. I would not want to go out there do another blood bath. We've cleaned enough blood off the walls in the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we've had them on, we've had them on walks and they literally like, don't care. They'll bump into each other on the walk and pee on the same right. bush, <laughs> right. face the same bird. Like they don't care. Yeah. And when that dog trainer came over, we had him in the backyard and I think he hit it spot on. There's like, so dude, how you doing? Like, yep. it's kind of weird. We're just standing here looking at each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Which so it good. was, it was fine, but it's, it was, I thought we kind of had the triggers figured out. We had all these resources away and then it's like, okay, now I think Gasper's maybe possessive of the place on the bed or the fact I'm here. And we noticed as my wife got more and more pregnant, that Gasper got a lot more protective of her. Mm-hmm. So like if he, like he would sit on, we might be bad dog parents. We let our dog sleep in bed and on the couch. Um, but he would sit on the couch next to her and lay his head on her belly. And if Otis walked by, he would kind of wail on him and, and growl, him, growl yep. at him a little bit mm-hmm. and Otis would go away. So it's, I think it's part of like finding out what some of those other triggers are. Um, but on the same token as like, it'd be all right if I didn't find out those triggers and we didn't have a fight because I mean, I don't think it's safe nor fair to the dogs to just throw muzzles on them and like, Oh, what are we going to do today? Like where, what, what trigger are we looking for today? But yeah. So it was more of the introduction deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, that's a good point about the, the pregnancy. I mean, that does definitely bring out a lot of protective energy within the household, especially yeah. with intact males. Cause that's like, yeah. again, it's very natural for them to be like, Hey, I got this. Like I'll, I'll handle baby. And, 
again, like that comes down to relationship. It comes down to breed. It comes down to genetics. It comes down to all these different things of why these things happen. But dogs are so intelligent and so in tune with us that they know things are going on. So again, like those are things, you know, and I've talked to clients about this and some people aren't willing to change the way that they live with their dogs, which is, I don't yeah. care. I don't care, you know, but, right. but <laughs> I will, yeah, right. I'm like, but, you know, I, I will tell you, like, if you don't make some changes, then you're going to, you're going to live on eggshells for forever with the dogs because those are like definite, like, yep, if you're doing that, that's what's going to happen. So just keep that in mind, like moving forward that, um, you know, all those things definitely matter. You know, again, like if you have a scenario where one of the dogs is on the cat, so there's, you know, there's so many different levels of possession and conflict dog elevated is one dog on couch is another dog on couch with human is another dog on couch with human with a baby is another. And then you add dog on couch with a human with a baby walking by. Those are five things stacked right up against you that I can almost guarantee. And then we could even go another level and be like, and they're intact. Right. And I'm like that right there. If you want to see dog, a dog fight, set that up. Cause it'll happen every <laughs> single time. <laughs> You know, so we were talking. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. So, like again, those are situations that it's good because if you were to say, "Yeah, Tom, uh, this is what's," and the dog is growling or wailing of like, "Get any closer, and I'm gonna come after you." So there's like so many really clear things. It's like reading a newspaper. It's like this is what's happening. You know. You were talking earlier about like the conflict and with submissive dogs or, you know, if Gasper's, if his tusks go up and he's hovering over the food dish and Otis goes away. That's probably been my biggest complaint about Otis is that but this is terrible to joke about. But I told my wife, I'm like, if dog fighting was a legal thing, like I would put all my money on Otis because he has no equipment. So they might have the exact same, like we would buy the nylon bones and I'd cut them in half. Like you could give each dog the a nylon bone and a real bone. And Otis has got to have exactly what Gasper has. So I take him to the miter saw and I cut him in half. And even when they're cut in half, he's like, well, I want that toy. Yeah. And then he, he would pester Gasper. And I should, have, I should have intervened more. I think at the time I was just, I knew better, but I was like, oh, it's just like a puppy playing with a big dog. And you could tell Gasper hated it, but he never really retaliated at him. And eventually he would just give him the bone. Uh, but he has no quit. So I think that was part of it. And that could be with him like physically and socially maturing. It's like, you're going to throw that sign at me. Fine. It's on. Um, mm-hmm. But there's really no like coward to notice, which it makes for a really good hunting dog, but I don't really need him hunting his brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. His housemate. I should say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's exactly, you know, what, what we've been talking about is you just, you, it's really going to be up to, I, I think it's, look, I think that again, having these two working dogs, you know, one's younger, one's not, and they're kind of pent up frustrated animals to begin with because it's really hard. It doesn't matter. Like it's really hard to give them everything that they want because they're just savages of dogs, which is good. That's why, that's why we love yeah. them. But, uh, you know, you just have to really delegate and make sure you're doing everything that you can to help them outlet. And, um, so anyway, so I think the next steps for you and for your family is to really be focusing on 
that integration and really just uh, two things that I would definitely be doing is remote collar training with both of them to have the ultimate control off leash because you being, so it's not so much about being reactive when things happen. It's about being proactive. Um, And I always say this, that if, if your dog knows that you can hold them accountable from a half a mile away, their behavior changes everywhere that they go. Because typically speaking, 99.9% of the human race on the planet with dogs only train their dogs with a four to six foot leash right next to them, which means anything out of that context, the dog, two things is the dog knows that, well, this is how we behave off leash because it's different. And, uh, the, the moment, the moment that you actually, everything changes, right? So there's, there's huge changes with that. And so. Those are the two things that if you're having, I personally think that if you want the most control, like the cream of the crop control and relationship with your dog, like e-collar training is by far like, you know, the best thing to do. I think, I feel like everyone out there is like sitting still with a typewriter, like, and I'm like sitting here with remote collars, sending emails. That's in my opinion, like that's, that's my advantage with working with dogs with modern technology. And it's a beautiful thing, but so there's that. And then. Uh, obviously muzzle conditioning will, especially when baby comes like muzzle conditioning is definitely going to uh, be the safest integration if you're going to have them fully integrated. And obviously, like you said before, like getting that baby gate that is unjumpable for, for the dogs is, is going to be huge. But I think when baby comes, there's going to be a lot more possession than you're already seeing because it's going to be like a tangible thing. Like, Oh, there's a human here now. So does that, do you see that goal? Like I've, I've been reading a lot on that too. Like, is that something that you, and even in your experience, like, did you see that maybe transition a bit as we go from this infant to this newborn stage to more of a baby? Or is it like, cause that, you know, it's a big change even for the dogs. Like, mm-hmm. What the hell mom and dad are up six times a night or yeah. usually sleep through the night and they're doing this and they're doing that. And so as they get more accustomed to that routine, do you see that? possession if you will change a bit yeah um yeah i mean for me and my dog like my dog was just terrified because she's never seen a baby ever just because why would she i'm never going to be like hey let me you know that's just it's never been a thing (laughs) exactly give me your infant try something out (laughs) so when when we brought uh, my son banks home uh he she was terrified and so we just and of course same thing like he'd be uh she was um in her bed and same thing, like we'd be getting up and the baby would cry and then she would get, but it wasn't probably until two and a half months, maybe three months mark where she realized that it was a human because he started to act more like a human, smell more like right. a human. Uh, and then we had, you know, our, our routine had changed from being completely, like you said, just 24 hour night owls, you know, uh, to more normal. So, it definitely changed, but once she realized that he was a human and he he was part of the family, then it went to, "You're my best friend. I'm gonna kiss you like I kiss everyone else." Awesome. So, uh, but but we also don't have another dog in the house because I think if I were to have multiple dogs in the house, I definitely would have been keeping a watchful eye on their behavior for sure. So once baby comes, there's something that you guys are gonna be actually able to hold. And you will be, and and you have to be very like, so when, uh, like if you sit down with baby or when family comes over, friends, et cetera, your dogs are going to be, like you have to make sure that you're delegating 
And to be honest, in the beginning stages for you and your wife's sake, just keep them separate because I don't think you should right. be, let's, let's try training with a new baby. Like, and it's not about the baby safety. Of course, it's more about your guys's headspace and your reflexes and how tired and how short of a fuse you will have after the lack there of sleep. So my suggestion, I think even for the dog, the dog attention span too. Like if it's just me and Otis like right now, he's sitting here staring at me with this calm looking for a bed to go lay on so we could train. But like my dad came over and was like, Hey, look at these like, Last time you were here, Otis was a bat out of hell, and look what he can do now. And the dude's like, one round of play, sit, down, wait, and then he's like, all right, hey, people are here. So I think even like to be, have any production with the dogs is as minimal stimulus as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 just having that obedience, uh, you know, is huge. Like my my place command with my dog is the number one used command because she's she loves everybody and she's great, but she gets really overly stimulated because we have different grandparents over different friends. And it's just, so right. me, me being able to just send her away to her place to say like, Hey, go chill is the best command to have because she's just going to want to, you know, she's going to be knocking glasses over with her tail and she's excited right. and she's kissing everybody. It's like this whole thing. So could it go to your touch down, stay done. So having that obedience any, is good. Do you have any pointers on that? Like Otis is picking it up, but it's not necessarily like I have a, I have a typically a dog bed. That's like his place. And I would love to be able to like be in the kitchen and he's getting in my way while I'm cooking. And I'm just like, Otis, go to your place. But it's more at this stage, like you have to walk over to the place. And once you get close to it, then I think he like associates that with what you're saying. Do you have any tips on like adding range to your place? If that makes sense. Definitely. Uh, so in, anything that we, anything that we teach a dog, no matter like what, what it is, it's, it's all about, I call the three D's. So distance, distraction, and duration. It's going to be all about being able to send your dog away and then being able to keep your dog, you know, sending your dog away from a distance. So, so if you can send your dog away to the, to, if you can get your dog to do anything at a base level, you can extend it out as far as you want. So to answer your specific question, it would be the long line. So you'd get, you'd get the long line out. Say you get a 20 footer, you'd get, you'd, you'd make it a four footer. You'd get food. You'd say, you know, whatever dog you're working with, Otis place, bed, whatever. The dog goes there, you pay. The dog can't get off until you break. If the dog gets off, you just least check the dog. Nope. Nope. Holding, holding, holding. Okay. Break. And then you break the dog off. And then what you do is you, move two steps away and you say place, place. And, and so you get the dog to the place. So the the number one thing is getting the dog to understand the the cue of go to your place. Right. They need to know what that means. Once they understand that and they realize that they then get food after the fact, then they're going to say, okay, I want to get there as fast as I possibly can, can get there. And then from there, uh, you start building it out. You just start getting further away. And if at any point your threshold becomes too far, you just, oh, too far. Go back six inches. Let's see if we can do it from here. And you just build it out. It's like weightlifting. You just you kind of yeah. just build it out until you get to a really comfortable conditioning, and you're like, okay, this feels good. This is my normal conditioning level, and that's how you do that. And this is something that you would do on the leash still. Yeah, 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 definitely. Because if you ask your dog to do something they don't know well and they don't do it, you're going to be dancing around like a clown to try to get your dog up there. Make it clear. For sure. You get, yeah. you, you make it as easy and clear as possible in the beginning. So the dog understands it. 
I always say there's three different levels of obedience. Don't level three is Yoda stuff. Don't, don't say like, Oh, my dog's never done this or my dog's not great at this. And there's distractions and all this stuff. Go to your place. The dog's like, no, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So, so you just have to say, okay, I'm going to make this is, I'm going to put the training wheels on. I'm going to make this as easy as possible. I got some food. You're hungry. I got a leash. I got a bed. I'm going to get six inches from this bed. I'm going to say Otis place. He's going to say, what the hell is that? You're going to give him a little leash pressure. He's going to get all fours on the bed. Yes. Good place. Ding, ding, ding. You say, okay, break. You break the dog off and you just teach him what that cue is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah. So all of our training has just kind of been living room fun. Um, He's picked up on it good. Like right now he's laying down on the ottoman waiting for me to break him on his toy, but He's behaving, so I'll just leave him. So we haven't, I haven't, I haven't really dug into the training like I want to or need to. But um, you know, we've been taking baby steps. There was, I don't mean this in like a fanboy way, but what you say about dogs, like it's like the Bible to me, man. Like it speaks to me, and that's the interesting thing. And like even in dentistry, if if you go to ten different dentists, you're gonna get, we say you're gonna get eleven different treatment plans. Like everyone yep. has different opinions and things that work for them, but like. I'd have the one trainer over and um, she actually works for my cousins and that's how I wound up with her. Um, and she had a ton of like really good Intel for me, but then her thought process was like, don't change anything. Keep feeding them in the same room. Try not to separate them. I was like, God, man, that just doesn't really feel my comfort level right now. Like again, cause the fight hurt me more emotionally than hurt these dogs. And then, I'll talk to another trainer and they're like, Oh, don't even let these dogs see each other. Mm-hmm. And so then you get conflicting information. And so that's where I was like, calling Tom. So with this, you know, big separated kennel in the garage, is that something that would concern you? Or is it like, yeah, they're going to have to, I mean, are they be in the same area, can't get to each other. Is We're it, not seeing problems on the leash. Just explain to me the kennel. Is it, is it one big kennel and they're both in it or is it separated? So it's, it's one big kennel, but I bought an additional door for it. It's like six panels. It's six foot tall, five foot wide, 10 long. And then I took one of the, the extra panel after I bought a door, put it right down the middle. So each dog has a five by five square and they're separated by the six foot tall, five by five right. cage. So, so they're separated. I guess what, yeah, they're, they're completely separated, but by a grate. So it's, it's not like they're on opposite sides of the room. Like, they both yeah. got a bed in there, water, all that. Yeah, but like I, right now, Gasper's in that kennel and Otis is walking past him and there's nothing. They don't even look at each other. Or we walk them on the leash and they're totally fine. But then I get a trainer that says, oh, no, these dogs can't see each other. You got to get rid of one. They're going to kill your baby. and the Aliens are going to take over Earth. Like, oh, I'm not calling you again. <laughs> like, yeah. So that was another question for you. Is just, is that too much stimulation for these dogs right away? Or do you think it's something like if there was a, if there was a problem, they're going to have to work through it as their neighbors all day. Mm, I I think you just play it by ear, man. I mean, I mean, you're like, that's the thing with dogs is, is you really, it's, I always like, I've been on this, keep it simple, stupid type thing lately. And I'm like, you know, if if you, if it's working and they don't have a problem with one another and it's making your life a lot easier to be able to say, kennel, kennel, we're good, then that's fine. But if you're starting to see problems, excuse me, if you're starting to see them become possessive or they're getting really frustrated and they're barking and they're fence fighting, then that's not good. That's not a good thing, you know? So you just, 
play it by ear. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, just obviously don't put anything in there that they can possess um, that can make things worse. Uh, I mean, right. you know, I just, I just like if they're next to each other and they're fine, like they're fine. That's it, you know. But it, but again, if you're hearing them bark and fence fight towards each other and they're getting aggressive and they're snarling at each other, then you can be like, okay, this isn't good because I it's making things worse. But right. just keep it simple. Like if you put them in there and they're fine, they're fine. Like, you know what I mean? You don't need, uh, I mean, it's good for me to reassure you, but just it, it's that simple. Like if you're seeing dogs and you're like, man, they've been in there for a month, um, on and off with, with one another and they've been completely fine. And then somebody says, never do it again. And you're like, okay, why? You know? So you just, I, I'm a big believer in there's so like what you were saying with what you do. It's like, there's so many variables. It's not even realistic to say like, oh no, one time or whatever. You know, so yeah, let them, let, if they're good, they're good. Yeah. But, but you know, the biggest thing is mental and physical exercise. So what's going to keep these dogs the most successful for sure is going to be the mental and physical exercise. That's if, if that is not happening at a pretty high level or a a reasonably high level for a pet owner, then things aren't going to run as smoothly as they can. Okay. Yeah. And that's where I probably like my frustrations get the best of me with Gasper is like, you know, again, you tar- like I would take half of his meal and I would do that at like, training time. And again, it's like Gasper sit and he lays down and you know, Gasper sit. And then he goes and lays on the bed or walks in the kennel. It's like, dude, you just care about the food. And so I, I need to be better about finding. And I think it's, I a hundred percent think it's going to be the e-caller for getting him to listen. Whereas Otis is like, snap, snap, snap. He's on it. He's got it. But we've been doing like, 15, 20 minute training sessions, a couple times a day with both dogs. Otis has definitely gotten more. Um, they love their Kongs filled with peanut butter, but are there other like mental activities that you recommend? That's just kind of go to your place. Well, they, yeah. Be- yeah. So, so mental for those types of dogs is challenges and tests. So right. literally test your dog, like play Simon says with your dog, l- 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 like, essentially. So, uh, even if it's for 15 minutes per dog, you know, even if you can bang out a half an hour session, like I said, you're gonna have a lot of time over the next couple months, um, to kind of say like, Oh, I got a couple hours, baby sleeping, like whatever, you know? So just, uh, it's testing, right? So mental stimulation is giving your dog some sort of test. So if your dog is in a routine, it's not really mental stimulation for them because they're doing it like clockwork. They're not thinking about anything. They're in a trance. They've done it 150 times. It's not testing them. What you want to do is change it up and test them. So examples would be walking up to the door before you go outside. And of course you'd be doing this separately with each dog. You'd say, Otis, sit. Dog would sit. You would go for the door and seven times out of 10 dogs, that's when they get up. Boom. Right. Using leash pressure back into a sit, you can't get up until I release you. So the dog's working for to get outside. The dog is thinking to figure out how to get outside, and then you just things like that. Like you can okay. exhaust a dog in a half an hour by testing them with those types of things. You get up to just the door. Make work for everything. Yeah, you just exactly you make them work for everything and try to switch up anything that they think is going to come next to get them to think because if they're an autopilot and they're like, yeah, I know what you're going to do next. Like I'm just going to, then they're not thinking. So again, like let's say you put your dog into a sit every single time before you go outside. But the moment you grab the door, the dog gets up and you let him out. So what you would do is like, I'm going to retrain you. I'm going to go up to the door. I'm going to put you into a sit. 
I'm going to go and touch the door. The dog's going to get up. Boop, pressure. Nope. You're going to do that four or five times because that's what it's going to take for the dog to understand, oh, I need to sit until you release me. And then you open the door. The dog's going to be looking at you, looking at the door, looking at you, kind of jumping up and down, like not rocking. And then you shut the door and then you recall the dog away from the door and do something else somewhere else. And they're going to be like, they're going to be mind blown. (laughs) What? Yeah, exactly. Those are the types of things. Those are the types of things that you would be working on. And, and if you can get like, like I, like I always say, like, if you can get dogs super obedient, then it doesn't matter what they feel about each other because they're, you you are the nucleus. So if you have two dogs that are out off leash and they don't like each other, but your obedience with them is level three Yoda stuff off leash, remote collar work, like bing, bang, boom. It doesn't matter. I'll put one in a place here. I'll put one in a place here. I'll get one out and I'll say, Otis heel. We'll heel around. We'll do some obedience for about a minute and a half. I'll put Otis into a place downstay. I'll grab Gasper heel, do the same thing. And they're just sitting there patiently waiting because you are the focal point, not one another. Right. Don't give them the opportunity to look at each other, feel each other because they're bored. If they're sitting there looking at each other, like, you know what, man, screw you. Nah, screw you. This type of thing. That means you're not, you're not, con- you're not giving them enough things to do. You're not controlling the the situation, like you have to be the focal point there. Right. I think it was a Will Atherton was talking about it. He's like, you need to get your dogs to the point where they would rather obey you and do everything that you say than mm-hmm. beat the shit out of another dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, working that. Yeah. You just, you just have to, you just have to provide them with like, Hey, do this instead, man. Because a, if you yeah. do the other thing, you get punished for it and it sucks. And B working with me, you get motivation, you get praise, you get rewards, you get everything. Like, don't worry about the other dog. And a lot of people just, they, they play referee and yeah. they don't have any control. And so I always tell people like, I don't care who you are, how much money you have. If you can't do the basic stuff with your dog and you have behavioral problems, you will never fix or overcome those ever. It doesn't matter. For sure. You've got to be the, you've got to be the doer. Yeah. And you have to have that foundation. It's like, somebody who's never ever seen a computer and you're like, Hey, I need you to get on here, log in and send somebody an email. They're like, I don't even know how to turn this thing on. Right. And then, so that's, that's what, yeah, that's a good analogy. That's what everyone does. I got a problem. I got a behavioral problem with my dog, which is a huge challenge. And then I audit them. I say, I want you to walk your dog from here to here. And they can't walk their dog five feet without them dragging them. And that's the most, I'm guilty of that too. Well, that's the, that's where you have to start. That's the most, like, that's what I mean. Right. So if we just went right back an hour ago before this conversation and I said, okay, your dogs are fighting. How much obedience do you have? And you said, well, you know, they're, they're not the best. I would say, well, you got to start there because it doesn't matter why your dogs are doing the things that they're doing, how they're doing the things they're doing. If you can't control the animals that are in your house, you're never going to be able to overcome and accomplish your goals because you don't have foundation. It's like skipping steps. You know what I mean? I'm like, I want to be, it's like, I want to make a million dollars next week. Like, do you have anything in line to like help you achieve that? Like, what do you, what are your, what's your income? How many resources do you have? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, no, that's just, I'm just going to do it. Like, no, you're not like you can't get there. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. That's what I mean is like, that's kind of what we're talking about here is my dog's are having behavioral issues and conflict issues and threshold issues and resource guarding issues. But at the same time, if we audit your control and your relationship with them, it's at a very minimal level, you know, so. For sure. Yeah. And that's, that's like, 
again, we're getting the obedience stuff down in the house with the sitting down and staying all that. But, you know, then it comes to the leash stuff and we're like, oh, God, we're going to get our asses drug around the block. Gasper's a lot better on the leash than Otis is. Um, but they're both uh, actually today. I'm going to go pick up a couple of the prong collars because I just watched your your free dog training video the other day and my wife was like blown away. She's like, how? How does it go from tugging down the street to healing 30 seconds? I'm like, well, watch more Tom Davis videos. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, but it's like handing your leash off to a professional and just seeing what your dog is capable of. You know, like I make it look yeah. easy because it's my job, but I think anybody sure. who does things professionally with passion and heart can can make things look that good that quick. But what a lot of people can't do which I'm really like what I really focus on is teaching the owners how to do that and how to achieve that. For sure. Cause that's the hardest thing. Like if you're good with dogs and you're a professional, you should be able to do everything that I can do at a highest mm-hmm. level or better. But if you can't teach other people how to do it, then you're in the wrong game, you know? Right. You're, you're training people, not dogs for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, sweet man. I took you a little over an hour. I apologize. That's um, okay. I really appreciate it. I mean, I got like a lot of reassurance. I've got, I, I think I have a, a pretty good foundation. I just wasn't always the best about implementing it because I use the excuse of all oh, I'm lazy. I, I long day at work. I just want to hang out and I didn't give my dogs what they needed. But Otis is, you couldn't even tell he just got neutered. The dude's still hell on wheels. Um, so he's been getting a lot more training. Gasper is a little slow and gimpy. So we'll take it easy with him, but um, we're going to start hitting hard because Better now before there's a kid around in 10 days, but yeah, um, the, reassur- the reassurance was great. I mean, it, like I said, after that last one, it was dog behaviorist, and I kind of expected a little bit more, and thankfully I didn't have to pay for it because that would have been terribly spent money. It was just straight up, like, you need to consider rehoming one or both of your dogs. Like, and we yeah. need to end this phone call because yeah. that didn't happen. Yeah, and like I said, so, like, it, you know, I could say the same thing because I would, I would be like, hey, man, if you're not willing to put in the work and you don't want to, you don't want to, put in the work to train the dogs and pay attention to what you're doing, then yeah, I would say the same thing. But for sure. again, like the big missing piece is, well, if you want to do the work and you want it to be successful, here's what you'll have to do. And that's what I try to go over as yeah. a professional, you know, but, but you know, my career has been yeah. different. You know, I, I never intended to be in the position I'm in. I just, I thought to myself that I have this gift with dogs and, and I can, I can, I can save a dog's life within 30 seconds. And for me yeah. not to, to push and pursue that passion and that ability of mine is, is, is doing it just not, not a justice of the world. Right. Like I, right. I can, sure. I can help dogs in seconds. Like you see the free dog training thing. Like I've, I changed those people's lives in minutes just yeah. by like bing, bang, boom. And so anyway, so like, that's the difference. You see somebody that has a more traditional trajectory and roadmap. They're more, this is it, it. This is how you have to do it. And I'm like, I'm a dog owner first. Like I was always a dog owner. And then I just got into this professionally now. And so now I'm an expert, but I would say the same thing. Like, it's easy for me to say, you need to rehome the dogs because this is going to be a nightmare and it could be. And I, and I would say the same thing if you're not willing to put in the work, but what I like to do is give you the option to say, Hey, if you want to work hard, here's how to do it. But if you don't, then yeah, I would rehome the dogs before anybody get hurt, you know? But yeah, and I respect that. I mean, that's, and I told her too, I'm like, I'm willing to do the work. And it was kind of those questions I had for you on like reintroduction and all that. And, I mean, she didn't even want to go into it. She's just like, baby coming, dog's gone. Like, well, I'm not taking that advice. Yeah, I'm well, willing to put in the work, although maybe she wasn't. So, yeah, right. We'll and get that's, them there. We'll get, we'll get 
out. Yeah, that's the thing too is like I know that. I'm a dog lover. I'm an owner. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, next. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so so I know that if I told you that, you would have said the same thing. Like, okay, that was unhelpful. And then you would have moved on to somebody else to give you, you know, like how can I reasonably safely do this? And that's that's where I'm like, hey, man, if you want to do this, this is what you got to do. Here's what you're yeah. missing. Here's what you need to focus on because I'm the same way. If, I, if somebody doesn't give me the answers that I need to succeed, I got to find somebody else to, to help me. So I get it. That's, my internet history right now was like, every freaking dog training research article and <laughs> yeah, sure. That's hours good. and hours of YouTube. So, I mean, I'm, I'm putting in the work, I'm ready for it, but it's, it sucks that it like came to this for me to make this adjustment, but on the same token, I mean, I guess I'm grateful for that because it, yeah, man, it's things make me a better dog handler. Well, and things could be worse. Like I work for with sure. dog owners who they, their dog can't even, can't even look at each other. Like, you know, the amount of people that would kill for have, have their dogs just be uh, decent with one another in the kennels. You know what I mean? Like right. some people, yeah. they do have to rehome their dogs because their dogs do not like each other. You guys aren't really in that boat. It's just, you got to figure out how to make it successful because they, you know, it's, that's not, those aren't the signs of any moment the dog can kill each other. They will. That's not what you're right. dealing with, you know? So anyway, all right, man. Well, congrats on the, on the baby yeah, coming I up. It. I wish, I wish you, uh, you and your wife, uh, the best of luck and, um, just make sure you're stocked up on coffee and you guys will be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, we're going to be ready. And we saw in the video or your Instagram the other day, good luck with the foster dog. That is, uh, yeah. I told my wife I would love to do it, but I couldn't because I would wind up with so many dogs. I yep. wouldn't be able to let them go anywhere. So yep. hats off to you for being able to do that. And yeah. Another life. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Not a problem. All right. Well, good, hey, if you, guys, if you guys need a vacation, you want to come out, you know where to find me. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Take care. Have All a good day. You too. Bye. All right, you guys, first question comes from Mo P10 uh, question. This is the this was a great episode. How can I help my one-year-old doodle stop fixating on other dogs? In the past, it has led to reactivity, but now he sort of bucks up in front of me, always tripping me. Sometimes a whine comes out and normally just stares. I have tried different methods such as heel around other dogs, directional changes. It's like he's so upper-focused that he can't hear anything I say. And even when I make directional changes, he's still looking at the dog. He could care less about the pops and the prong. I don't know if I need to switch to an e-collar on the leash, uh, but he is trained off-leash. Already with the e-collar, I don't mind him looking on a loose leash and beside me, but I don't mind him cutting me off. We will pay attention to me throughout the walk. Um, it sounds to me like it that you possibly are not, you could possibly not have the right control on the leash in order to be around these other dogs. Like if you're out, okay, I'm going to try to simplify this as much as I can. If you're out with your dog and your dog knows heel well, which it sounds like your dog does, but your dog is still cutting you off and getting in front of you. That means your dog doesn't have a lot of body awareness with you and doesn't care that it's passing you. So it sounds to me personally that you're you're biting off more than you can chew, which means your dog isn't ready for what you're asking him or her to do. You're going out, your dog is getting fixated and is cutting you off and doesn't care that you're standing right there. So just use that left leg to cut your dog off with those inside turns. But at the end of the day, it's like every other question that I get, unfortunately, is your their, your obedience right now is not, you're not prepared for what you're doing. That's all it is. If your heel is good and, it, and you say that it's good in this uh, question, but your dog is still cutting you off, then that means you're probably just not set up uh, to, to, be, to be at that level yet. 
So uh, a lot of more inside turns and um, engagement with your dog. So getting your dog engaged, you're going to have to go out and try to find something that your dog loves as well. But, um, you know, best thing to do, honestly, if you're, if you're continuing to struggle, you know, my job is to give you guys, I mean, I posted this thing about my Canadian seminar and it was like, like, Hey, you know, this is, this is the seminar. Here's the information and tickets and everything. And somebody was like, man, I wish you'd just do some charity work and, and I'm like, man, I put out free stuff every single day of my life, every day, videos, podcasts, shorts, reels, TikToks, like every single day, I try to give you guys something. And anyway, so I, I guess my, my point, a little rabbit hole is if you guys are struggling still with without hiring a trainer and you've looked, uh, you know, at all the content that I, cause 95% of the people that I talk to have been able to work through their problems with their dogs just from my free stuff on YouTube or on the podcast or whatever. But if you're still hitting that wall, this is one of those questions where you're like, I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything. And if you're still doing everything that you think you should be doing and you're still hitting a wall and you're still frustrated, hire somebody, invest into somebody else. I mean, that's what this guy, this guy did. You guys listen to this podcast. He went through a behaviorist, he went through a trainer and then he hired me and, and hopefully I gave him some information that'll help him break through. So just remember, like, it's not, I, I wish everyone can just hear information from an expert like myself and get better, but there's just certain things that you're doing wrong and somebody needs to see you and watch you and say, Hey, that's wrong. You need to do it different in order for you to get better. So that's the reality. And don't get frustrated with it. It's I mean, it's good that people can train their dogs f- for free from my videos and content, but at the same time, it's not for everybody. So if you're hitting a wall and you're frustrated, but you think you're doing everything right, hire somebody. All right, next one comes from Yuki and Kai, best dog, the best dog and human trainer. Tom helped me out a lot with my relationship with my dog. Too much love isn't what they need. They need a strong leader. His podcast is very easy to understand and applicable. Question, I train my dog to heal, command with the slip leash, on the website. Now I want to move to an e-collar, but my dog's neck is too small. And I contacted customer service on the website and they replied to me that the collar on the No Bad Dog website is too big for my mini Labrador. Do you have any recommendations? I would just go for the IQ Mini. IQ Mini is a nice little small dog collar. It has small little contact points and it's made for, I think dogs up to six pounds or something like that. So I checked that out. Thank you for listening. I'm so happy that uh, you're finding some help. Uh, East next one is East ESMUA or MUI best dog trainer out there. I love the podcast and YouTube videos. Tom is the best content available. I recently adopted a two-year-old pit bull terrier from a local shelter. Use Tom's videos for basic obedience while inside and outside very low distractions. She is great at first uh, to the commands, but can do anything I ask, including healing off leash. My question is, is how do I transfer that in to environments with higher distraction when we go for walks from the neighborhood. I live in a busy, busy downtown area. She gets overstimulated and it's harder for her to be obedient. We mainly struggle with her loose leash walking and leash during those times when she pulls and sniff everything also gets excited to see people. So I just put out a video last week actually on my YouTube channel and it goes over everything that you're talking. I mean, I can, I can run through you everything that we talked about in this video, but what I think you should do is, is go over to my YouTube channel and look up the video, how to stop leash pulling in eight minutes and how to stop leash pulling in five minutes. Those are two videos that I put together. One of the big things that you're probably dealing with 
is the environments. So it's something I've been recently talking about a lot in my videos, uh, talking about the environments and the different levels. So level one, two, and three. Level one is basic obedience, nothing going on, um, just in your house by yourself. And level three is outside off leash with your dog and your dog listens to you no matter what. So as you're transitioning and blending, like that's what's happening. Your dog is great when there's not much going on, but the moment that there's a distraction or the moment that there's something else that enters the mix, that's where things go south, which is normal and uh, it, it does happen. But the environments that you're, you're jumping steps, so you're going from one to three really quickly, and that's probably the problem. Uh, so my suggestion is try to find that middle ground that you're working on. So don't go from inside nothing going on to downtown because that's a really hard thing to do. So again, like I would check out those videos because I go over everything about teaching your dog how to walk nicely, especially if that's one of the main things that you're working on is the heel and loose leash in those environments. But I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't give their dog a break. So they heal their dog for 20 steps in a row and they expect that heel for 30 steps, 40 steps, 50 steps, a mile. It's impossible. Don't try it. Don't do it. You'll fail. You'll be frustrated. <laughs> Just try to give your dog incremental heel patterns. Healing from A to B. Okay, break. Healing from A to E. A B. Okay, break. So on and so forth. And that's how you should uh, look at it. That's how you should do it. Um, yeah. And I, I am very excited for you guys um, that you watched my new uh, e collar or my new prong collar videos and stuff. We all we're putting all the healing stuff out, and we're basically read. If you guys haven't been able to catch on we're basically redoing all of our old videos um yeah so we're just like updating all of our own videos on how to walk on a leash how to use a prong collar how to use an e-collar how to teach recall so that's what you guys are seeing a lot of my channel right now is we're i haven't done any of that stuff in four or five years because um just we never did we just kept going with aggressive stuff now we're kind of getting back down to the basics and adding those in so anyway uh, yeah, you guys can check out all my tutorials uh, on my YouTube channel. We're updating like all the basics, um, and I'm excited to foster here soon. We're going to get some puppy stuff going. So yeah, check out my YouTube channel and, uh, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll talk to you Wednesday for sure. And yeah, thank you guys. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.